Hello, everyone. Welcome to Everybody's Bad With Money, our first ever podcast episode. We're so excited to be here with you today. I'm Amelie. And I'm AJ. How are you, AJ? Oh, I am. I am (laughs) quite tired. It was the uh, presidential debate last night, and I left that super energized for, and we finished at about 1130 because I started late. So I left that quite energized. Um, So it was a struggle to fall asleep and it's quite early now. How about you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I certainly second that. I am absolutely exhausted, but I also have this like crazy manic energy because I'm really excited to be here. So we'll, we'll see what plays out. It's also um, storming here in Boston. I have kind of like a mini hurricane going on outside. So, you know, I think it's just the universe responding to the debate last night. Like, <laughs> yeah. here you go. Here's some, here's some more like, this is how I feel. <laughs> this is how yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. about the debate last night. I'm going to yeah. give you a flo- I'm going to give Boston a hurricane. Exactly. You know, yeah. might as well, might as well just throw it in there. Um, no, I'm, I'm doing pretty well overall. Definitely tired. Um, I have a lot of like weird health stuff going on right now. I don't think I've actually filled you in on that stuff, but, um, and maybe that's another podcast, like just talking about money and health. I think that'd be awesome to go through. Um, certainly something I've dealt with, but yeah, it's, uh, it's going to affect my finances. So yeah. 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 Um, um, I read a really crazy stat that I wanted to actually talk about in the course last night um, that um, it was about one fifth of adults had major unexpected medical bills to pay in the prior year and one fourth of adults skipped necessary medical care in 2018 because they were unable to afford the cost. Oh my and that God. Is one fourth of adults. That's, and I've been there. I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, haven't we all? I think. Um, yeah. 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 Luckily, I can afford at least like the down payments. And I mean, I, I can afford it. It's just gonna, I'm gonna have to, you know, crunch some numbers and make it work with my budget. Um, but I'm really lucky. I mean, look at that statistic. There are certainly people who are not in the same position and (laughs) we'll talk about my money story, but like two years ago, this would have been devastating. Yeah. 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 I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm getting surgery two weeks from tomorrow. So it's coming up pretty soon. Wow. Yeah. Big kid stuff. Big kid stuff for sure. Um, but yeah, speaking of money, I am so excited to hear your money story today. We're going to kind of go through how we both got to where we are today and talk through that. And there's a lot to unpack. We're going to get vulnerable. <laughs> so I'm very, very What's excited. That? To- <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so honestly, take it away, AJ. I'm excited to hear how you got to where you are today. Cool. Um, the saying age before beauty just came to mind <laughs> as I'm a, I'm four years your senior, right? I'm 20, I'm 31. How old are you? 26. Oh my God. You're 26? Yeah. I, ha- I had it in my head. You were at least 27. So we started working together when you were 24. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh my god. I I'm also super young for my um grade, I guess would be the best way to explain it. But like you're everybody's a older than me. Yeah. That's so weird. Did you skip a year? No. So but like think about school years. Most people it starts in September. Most people it's like September to September, right? But I'm the one age. of the I'm one of the oldest in my grade and I'm March. Because oh, that's so weird. There must have been a different system. Like for my, probably. yeah, for my high school, it's September to September. So um, June is one of the last months. Got it. Yeah, we only had a couple of people from September to January that were like, and they were older. Yeah. Oh, okay. I see. Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Fun facts. All right. Money stuff. I'm mature for my age, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware. I'm aware. I'm a grandma in a 26-year-old body, like, actually, as we were just talking about. <laughs> yeah. I've always been a grandma. So it's a perfect fit. Love it. Um, okay. So my money story begins in childhood. I had several beliefs about money that I kept with me up until I probably went to college, if not farther. Things like, so I was from the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I was, um, I was raised by a single parent for most of my life, um, a single breadwinning parent. There were two parents involved up until I was 15. And I thought that um, in order to be successful, you had to make a lot of money. And by a lot, I mean like millions of dollars. I always had this delusion that there was no money outside of Manhattan and that everybody else was like poor, which is so funny. Um, I grew up with a lot of very wealthy friends. Um, I just was always surrounded by money. But in the home, I was constantly told how much things cost, which made me uncomfortable and also inappropriate with other friends when I was like, don't you know how much our school costs? And they're like, no, you know, I'm like, don't you know how much that toy is? And they're like, no, AJ, I don't know how much that is. No, I'm Um, five years old. (laughs) Oh yeah. Legitimately. And, um, I grew up believing that money was very scary. Money was very toxic and caused a lot of drama. It was 175% the main factor for my parents' divorce, um, for, um, a lot of unhappiness growing up, like, because money seemed to cause a lot of problems. Um, my mom was a recruiter, so money was very fluctuating. We had it, we didn't have it, we had it, we didn't have it. I remember in like fourth grade or sometime around eight years old, we had like this crazy Hanukkah where we got all of these presents and that never, ever happened again. And like, I guess that's when I can attest to when we like never, never peaked at that level. Um, financially, it was always, it always felt like a struggle from eight onwards. And I was very aware of it. Um, my grandparents retired at 65. They um, always said, you know, save a penny, you know, spend a penny, save, save a penny. Um, you always want to keep money for a rainy day, all that stuff. But I never took any of that advice. And when I was 13, I, my mom had said to me when I was 12, like, you're too expensive, go get a job. And I took that seriously. So at 13, I started babysitting. I was the only babysitter on the block with business <laughs> cards. My papa made me business cards. 
Oh my god! It literally said AJ Walbert babysitter. My camp friends, like one of my camp friends, actually has some of the cards. It's so funny. Um, Amazing. I started a little entrepreneurial business babysitting. I got to the point sometimes in my high school career where I was babysitting like every weekend and a couple of times a week. I was bringing in the money, but I would just immediately spend it um, in high school going to go see my camp friends in Long Island and buying the train ticket, um, eating at the diner, and then hoping that I had enough money to get back on the train, (laughs) which I would make my friend's parents take me at like seven o'clock in the morning on a Sunday because I was a teaching assistant at the temple, (laughs) which I look back and I'm like, I don't, these women were angels. They drove me <laughs> to the train at seven in the morning on a Sunday. Um, I, that was basically my entire high school experience of just going to Long Island, uh, being with my friends and not really getting involved in that city scene, not getting involved in that and the partying that was happening until like probably my second semester, my second semester, of um, my senior year of high school. Um, so I kind of just had this this idea that like I couldn't make it in the city, um, that it was too expensive for me and I never got to really indulge. I never had cash because I would spend it right away. And I, no one, after my dad um, walked out, we, I never got an allowance. So, mm-hmm. like, so like in 10th or 11th grade, when they stopped feeding us lunch at school, my mom didn't really know. And so I wouldn't eat until like three o'clock because I wouldn't eat until I came home unless I was fortunate enough to like go downstairs to the cafeteria and sneak some food from the chefs who I was friends with. And that was kind of how I, I literally survived high school, which is so horrible to think about when you're learning so much and processing so much and you aren't being, you're not feeding yourself. Um, on top of body dysmorphia, on top of like eating disorders that naturally oh, yeah. occur in everything that comes with high school. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Middle school to high school. Um, so I go to college and I'm liberated and I I partied hard my first semester, like probably too hard. That was the worst <laughs> semester I did in college. And then I kind of got my acting gear and it it was um it was a great experience. I went from like having all this, I was very involved in high school to having like no involvement in college other than whatever I, like fun, whatever I wanted to do. I, I was a theater major. So eventually I did plays and um, I had a ton of friends and I made my best friends who are like in my wedding party. And, um, but yeah, college for me was really about like my boyfriend and going to uh and and partying and having a lot of fun that's and and i i have some regrets about that because i i i love learning and i don't think that that was my top priority when i went to college i think i was just so excited to be free and to leave the city so my week of graduation i'm sitting in the financial aid office with my mom no First, I am sitting at the restaurant that my Japanese restaurant that I worked at called Miyaki. And I'm saying, mom, I know I have about $5,000 worth of student loan debt. I just want you to know, thank you for college. I'm going to take care of that $5,000. So we're sitting in the financial aid office and they're like, okay, so you owe $34,000. And I'm like, no, no, no. I owe $5,000. And they're like, 
Where were you getting that number from? That's what my mom told me. That's what I was told. I was told I had $5,000 worth of student loan debt. Um, Did she sit you down when you were, you know, like thinking of going to college and kind of go through what college costs with you or what was the message there? The message was go and I'm, I'm paying for it. And was, I remember sitting in Starbucks near my house and I got into seven schools, um, some with like full financial aid and scholarship, other state schools that I got full financial aid and some scholarships and they were way more affordable, like Binghamton, which is a fantastic school. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I was most excited to go to Ithaca and they have the best theater program in, in the Northeast. And she was like, great. You're going there. Like, cool. And so she always seemed to make it work. And so it it just wasn't really a thought. Um, And I was devastated by the student loans. And at that point, because I had in her mind said I was take over it, she just kind of was like, sorry, like, have fun. And so, and someone made a really good point. It's like such a surmountable amount of debt. You're like, I don't even know what that looks like. And then like if someone's, they're like, is that a car? Is that like a house? Like what is $34,000? Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Honestly. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. And so what is that? $34,000 is like a car. A nice it's a car. really nice car. Yeah. It's like yeah. a Lexus. Yeah. 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 So it's like not even the lowest model of a Tesla, but maybe almost a Tesla. The Great. lowest model. <laughs> um, so I, um, I start waitressing as all future actors or wannabe actors do. And I, um, did you go back to New York? I went back to New York. I was living at home. My goal was to get out of my house immediately. Mm -hmm. So I started waitressing. I remember I had three envelopes and I, that's how I would save. I, cause I, I made cash. So I would take the three envelopes. So I remember I was going to Israel. So one was for Israel. One was for, um, one was for like future apartment. And then the other was for God knows what. And (laughs) at least you had the mentality of saving. I mean, that's step one. I had lived in London in college for six months and I was living on $150 a week, which was 75 pounds. And I, um, I learned then had a budget and it was actually so funny the happiest time of my entire life was living in London mm-hmm. and I lived off of nothing like I would have to go to the to Tesco and I'd bring my backpack like my traveling backpack and I'd pack up all my stuff for the week week and a half and I just lived very I, I you know I didn't get coffees I didn't do anything extravagant and I just had like the greatest time of my life um so I um so I started waitressing and I really resent, not resented it at first, but I kind of made it seem like a joke. Like I was just like, oh, this is my like whatever job. This is my like passing job. Like I'm not really a waitress. And then I realized one day that I was there like 60 hours a week and I was just not showing up. And I decided to like stop doing that and to really take my job seriously and learn the menu in ins and out. And there was this huge transformation within a few months and everybody noticed it. And I start, and you could tell because I started making more money and getting more shift opportunities. Um, and so then I started feeling really confident and then I started partying 
because I had never done that city party thing. And I would go out like almost every single night. I never wanted to be home. I was drinking every single day, like heavily drinking every single day. Um, and it was really fun. And then my body was like, enough. You literally yeah. can't do this anymore. I And my legs were starting to swell every day um, to the up to my knees. And then one day I had like, they called it a panic attack and acid reflux where like my heart was like on fire and I went to the hospital and they were like, um, you're having a panic attack or whatever. My body like could not handle. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't hack it. Like I couldn't, I wasn't a cool girl. Like I couldn't hack <laughs> going out and partying like that. I can barely um, handle one day a week. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I mean now, oh my God. Yeah. So, well, I'm, I'm still pretty good at holding my own, but it's, it was insane. And I was, I was living on being 22. Like I was living right. on the youth of it. Um, and so and you were able to afford that lifestyle. Oh yeah. I was making like $65,000 a year in cash. Wow. Like that was really good. Yeah. I didn't have to pay tax yet. Right. Because all yeah. of it was cash. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Right. Forewarning. So, so I go to, um, so I and with my best friend Madison, who we be we we went to Ithaca together, but we became best friends in London, and we're both just like we love to travel, and we're like, I'm miserable, and she's like I'm miserable, um, and she's like our two friends had gone to, um, had gone to Thailand to teach, and we're like, what if we backpack through Asia, which is like kind of radical, because so I don't know anybody who in our demographic and our friend group who were doing stuff like that. But we both were just like, let's go do it. So we save up. I save like $5,000. I get rid of my apartment. I put everything in storage. Um, and we take Air China or Southern Air China to Asia. And I, I mean, I, I cried the entire time, the entire way there. I was so depressed. I left um, my IRS, I left taxes for 2011 and I was entering into 2012. This was October 26th. It was the day before Hurricane Sandy. And wow. that Hurricane Sandy, if we had left two days later, we would have never gone. One, because you couldn't get out of New York. And two, because we would have like taken that as a sign that we right. shouldn't have left because of hurricanes, how bad Hurricane Sandy was. Right. So we're on the plane. I'm crying the whole time. I'm like, I left, you know, a credit card. I left student loan debt. I left IRS debt. And I was just like, I have to get out of here and figure out who I am and what I value. And God, it was the best decision of my life, but it was so dumb uh, in a financial sense. So we backpacked through Asia. I bust, I bust through another credit card. We went to nine countries. I started realizing that people with significantly less than I am, I had were significantly happier and I um I was like something about the way I was raised is making me feel a certain way about my life and mm -hmm. and it's not correct and it's not true and so I got to start to rediscover figure rediscover who I was and what I valued and so I um I also found yoga at the year I was going to Asia and I didn't know what about it was making me feel 
good, but it was the only thing that made me feel like stable because mm-hmm. that whole time was very hard for me. I remember I'd send letters to my old coworkers and be like, I wanted to be relevant. I was so afraid to be forgotten, but at the same time I needed to be forgotten so I could redefine who I am. And my phone got stolen in Malaysia. And that was like the lesson of like, I need to like let go because mm-hmm. I'm trying to hold on to people and things that might not necessarily be worth holding on to in the long run. They might not have my best interests at heart. And the people that stayed are my best friends. Those are the people that are still in my life. So then I moved to Australia. I'm not ready to come home. That was a hard year, hardest year, probably one of the hardest years of my life. I moved with $50 in my bank account. The American Express found me on my Nokia phone and was calling me every day being like, you owe us money. I was severely underpaid because I was not a citizen and they could. Um, oh, right. And what, then I, what job were you working in Australia? Oh, um, serving jobs. Okay. Serving jobs being severely underpaid. I had to, I walked away from a job. This guy was so toxic and such an alcoholic. And then he, he owed me like $600 and he accused me of stealing. And I didn't have any rights to fight him because I wasn't a citizen. It was, it was like a, it was like that, like there's, there's a, a million stories that I'll get into in the future about my experience in Australia and how much, how many lessons I learned, but I started my teacher training. I also learned in Australia how to open up my heart and receive unconditional love. Um, my, how did you learn that? My, oh. <laughs> like such an easy, simple thing. <laughs> yeah. My, um, my, my, my friend, Jesse, who I met traveling, we fell in love like immediately friend wise. And, um, I was like, I'm moving to Australia. And she's like, I am too. And we're like, let's live together. And we got there and she had worked at a company, got severance and had like the equivalent of my student loan debt to just kind of travel the world. And she had no desire to save any of it. And we are living in Australia together. We sleep in the same bed together because it's what we can afford. It was $150 a week with us living in a bed together um, each. $150 $150 is $600. Oh my gosh, wow. Yeah, it was so expensive to live in Australia. And I, we find a yoga studio and we go to this class together and she sits me down and she's like, I was like, this is where I want to do my teacher training. I need to figure out a way to save up all this money to go do my teacher training. It was like $4,000 Australian dollars. And she sits me down and she's like, AJ, I want to do my teacher training. And I was like, oh, this sucks. She's going to do it before me. This is so uh, and she goes, and I want to pay for you. Oh my God. And I was like, no, you can't do this. And I used to fight her and I, and she would like cry and I'd be yelling at her cause she gave me the money and I couldn't accept it. And she just wanted, I was scared there was some ulterior motive and there wasn't, she just loved me and wanted me to be happy and give me what I wanted. And it, I mean, I had a very successful teaching career from it and every single class is in honor of her in some capacity. So um, I'm really unhappy there. I moved to Australia. That's a really cool story, which we'll get into in the future. Um, and I just need to like have fun. I was so in my head. I was so cerebral and working through the personal development stuff of doing your yoga teacher training. And I just wanted to have fun. So I moved into a hostel um, I remember the first three days I was there, I didn't speak to anybody. I was in just, Australia. Yeah. No, in New Zealand. I was oh, just okay. so like, 
scared. And then I ma- I started making friends. I met this guy in the hostel who became my friend and then my boyfriend. And um, I met this group of friends and I thought everything was great. We were having a ton of fun. We all decided to move in together. It ended up being not the right thing. They, I wanted to like get my life in order. That was like my whole goal. I was your, I was 25, turning 26. I wanted to feel like I wanted to get my life in order. Or I guess I was 24, turning 25. Yeah. And I, they wanted to party. And so it was just a clash. So uh, my sister got married, my, my sister got engaged. And so I knew that was kind of the cutoff of when I needed to come home. And so I moved back home. And at this point I have, I have $10,000 in credit card debt. I haven't touched my taxes. You're supposed to file your taxes. I hadn't touched my taxes since 2011. It's now 2015. Um, I have no job. I decide I'm going to full-time teach yoga and I'm going to make that happen. So I moved back home. My student loans haven't been touched and I'm living with my mom and I am like, I'm going to go do teaching yoga full-time. And I did it. Like I was able to find enough work. It took a, a lot of time, but I wasn't making enough money. So I worked for my mom for a bit. That was really unhealthy. So I said, okay, I need to go. Um, I, I, I stopped working for her and then I realized I couldn't pay rent anymore. Luckily I was living in my sister's apartment. Not luckily I started owing my sister money. So she kicks me out in like February cause she's living in Houston. She's coming home. She gets pregnant. And so this is like a year has gone by a year and a half has gone by of me being home. I've gone to Brazil. I've gone to Portugal, Denmark. I'm still living that like I can make this work life. And finally, I just have this moment of like, I can't live like this anymore. My grandparents are getting older. I need to go visit them. My friends are starting to get married. My friends are starting to get engaged. I want to be part of this. My highest value is my friends and family. So I need to make a change and no one's going to fix my problems. I had this big epiphany that I was living for somebody to fix my problems. I was waiting for some for a $60,000 check to come in the mail and it was never going to come. And so I reached out to my aunt like a, maybe like a month or two later and I was like please help me and it wasn't really until 6 months later I was like okay I'm ready. Can you hold my hand while I call debt collectors? Can you um, help me create a budget? And so that was the start Why did of the you budget. Call her? Oh, she's just brilliant and she is in charge of my grandparents' finances and she's made an incredible life for herself and I just respect the hell out of her. So I just knew, I I knew that the foundation of my family was not going to be able to help me with my finances. My mom, my dad, my sister, nobody was going to be able to help me get my finances in order. So I just needed somebody in the family, but outside and she was who I knew. And so I... Um, I start tackling finances and, and in tandem, I had been single dating in New York city and the last boyfriend before die guy I was dating before my fiance, I, it was a horrible relationship, had my heart broken, but it was the, the heartbreak that got me to start taking my own life seriously. And I was like, wow, I'm never doing that again. That sucked. <laughs> and I, um, so in tandem with getting my finances in order, I also was healing my relationship with love and wanting to be seen and valued and heard and be with somebody who saw that I was undervaluing myself and lift me up instead of bring me down. And so 
it was like about six, five to six months of doing all that work, getting my finances in order that um, a friend swooped in and was like, I have an apartment that you can live in rent free for five months. Um, So that helped me chunk a huge chunk of the debt. And then, um, and then Brett came into my life and it was, as soon as we connected, it was a done deal. And within two weeks, I was telling him my financial situation, not the details, but that I was in a lot of debt. I was paying off the debt because I wasn't planning on having this be a problem for our future and our kids. And he was like, cool. So I do budgeting and forecasts for a living. I have an MBA and a <laughs> of background course he does. <laughs> in budgeting and accounting and I can help you. And so once like six weeks into our relationship, when I told him all the debt, he sat down with me, revamped my gorgeous budget and um, turned it into what it is today, which is what I use with my coaching clients um, and my course participants. And he was kind of your first financial coach. <laughs> he was my first financial coach. Absolutely. And we sat down every month and went over the financials and slowly but surely the credit card debt's gone. The student loan debt's back in repayment. The family's back in repayment. The tax debt is gone. All the bad debts are gone. I don't have a debt mindset. I have an emergency fund. I moved to DC to be with Brett and I have financial stability in a way that I didn't even know was possible. It's completely changed my nervous system. It changes the way that I interact with the world. I get to live in my highest values. I get to be there for all of my friends' worst and best times in their life. I, um, I'm present. I'm more present. I cannot emphasize how much depression and anxiety was caused by money and how little that affects me now. It's unbelievable so I much fully so. second that so much so that i want to teach everybody else how to get their finances in order i think it's really my my act of feminism highest act of feminism is to empower women to get their finances in order and be self-sufficient and not have to worry and be in fear of where their money's coming from or who's in control of their money um so that is a brief a 31 year analysis of my life <laughs> And yeah, thank you for listening. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. I think, I mean, there's just so many lessons there and it was a a brief overview and we'll certainly unpack it more as, as time comes along because we could probably spend an hour talking about each of those individual sections at least. Easily. Easily. Um, Yeah. So I'd love to hear yours, even though I know it, but I want, (laughs) I want our viewers to hear your amazing money story and where you gone and where you've come from and absolutely yeah and honestly as we've learned the more we talk the more we learn about each other so who knows maybe you'll learn something new that I haven't told you (laughs) all right my money story oh boy um I'll start with childhood as well I guess that makes chronological sense but (laughs) I so I was actually born in France my and this is important to the story my parents um come from two completely different backgrounds. My dad grew up in France. His parents were very modest. Um, My grandparents actually grew up in France during World World War II. So definitely a tough time to be a child. My grandma was homeless during World War II. Um, Yeah, just a lot of trauma going along with that. And then I think trauma relating to money because when you've gone through something that horrible and you know what it is to live in 
like complete scarcity, I think subconsciously and consciously, you never want that to happen again. So what their money mentality was, was just save always don't spend money, um, save for, you know, in case something like that ever happens again, which totally makes sense. Um, but I think they took it a little bit too far at times and were living in fear and really passed that down to my dad. Yeah. How yeah. could you not when Of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I definitely reaped some of the benefits of that because they saved a ton of money and were super generous with me, but I did kind of I feel that mentality of fear from, from them. And I sometimes feel it from my dad as well. On the other hand, my mom grew up, um, extremely wealthy in California. Her grandpa, uh, started his own company, like from scratch, a canning company in California. Mm. And he was friends with like really ritzy people hit one of his really good friends was Walt Disney actually, which is so insane. Um, and she grew up going on extravagant vacations and feeling like she could spend anything that she wanted and that money was plentiful, um, just not feeling worried about money at all. I, I think, so her, her grandpa was super wealthy, but then her parents were kind of living off of his money. Um, my grandpa was a, a minister, actually, and my grandma was a teacher. So they weren't bringing in a ton of money, but they were living this like super crazy rich lifestyle. And so mm -hmm. they actually ended up going in debt. And I think my great grandpa was the one who would like kind of bail them out and they were getting money from him. So my mom grew up with this duality of having super wealthy grandparents, but then her parents being in debt. And I think she kind of heard them fighting about money and still got the message that you can spend whatever you wanted. So my parents came together yeah, with these like curious. <laughs> did did was there a like you're marrying out of your class kind of mentality from your mom's family or no? No, definitely not because yeah, I, I think my family was just so excited that she was marrying somebody French. <laughs> I think that was like the excitement there. They were like, "Oh, he's foreign and he's like handsome and he speaks French." And my my grandma's <laughs> highest value is. Um, like intellect, I guess I would say she's like, she's just, she wasn't the most emotional person and was a, a English teacher, English professor at a community college and like really cared about knowledge and like culture. So I think her daughter marrying somebody French was like, oh, that's bringing culture to our family. Cool. Um, awesome. And, and also at that point, like they, my grandparents and my dad were super middle class. Like they, they had money. They lived in a, in a pretty nice house in France. Actually, they like made a living for themselves. Uh, my grandpa in France was a painter and then my grandma was a secretary, but they just saved so much money that they were able to create a really good life for their kids. So luckily they kind of turned that trauma around and like made the best of it, honestly. Um, yeah. And were able to give me and my other, cousins and siblings money, which is incredible considering where they came from. Um, so that's a little bit of my family background. And then I ended up moving to the U.S. when I was eight years old. Uh, we moved to Massachusetts and I grew up in a super, super wealthy town in Massachusetts. Um, we actually moved to the town that my aunt lived in. My mom has an identical twin sister. Um, super nice town. And my mom wanted to move there to give us a good education, which we certainly got. Um, 
but I grew up in like a pretty modest house in that town and similar to you I had insanely wealthy friends I remember in high school I was playing volleyball with um someone whose dad was on the Celtics so I went to a party like a Halloween party that was just all the Celtics players and that was like a normal thing in my town just surrounded by celebrities surrounded by wealth I also definitely grew up thinking that in order to be wealthy you had to be a multi-millionaire anything below that was like unacceptable and I think I grew up pretty embarrassed about my family situation even though we were really well off compared to the rest of the country the rest of the world um I didn't want to bring people to my house because it was like smaller than other people's houses. And I was always, always out with friends. Like I was never home. Um, I didn't have the closest relationship with my parents. Like we wouldn't fight, but I wouldn't really tell them where I was going or tell them much about my life. I think they like really wanted to know, but I was so wrapped up in the like wealthy New England culture. And I wanted to be a part of that so badly that I just like merged into that, I think. And I felt a ton of pressure um, to do well for myself and I would constantly feel stressed out about my future. Like I, I'm not the type of person who really thinks about the past. I'm very, very future minded. Like I'm always thinking about the future. Um, and I think I really learned that growing up in a That's town. That's so interesting because you're more, dis- you know, spoiler alert, but you're more predisposed to anxiety, right? Yes. And I'm more predisposed to depression. And yep. I'm a very past oriented. I it makes total sense. I think all the lessons are in the past and I want to, I want to go in, in <laughs> which um, I think is important. And I've learned to look at my past through therapy and coaching and all this stuff. Um, but it's super uncomfortable for me. Like I don't like going back there. I like to plan for the future. It's exciting to me. Like I like making plans and figuring out where I'm going to be and, Honestly, the lesson is to just be in the present, <laughs> which is really tough, but um, currently learning that, you know, yeah. just, just staying present. Definitely one of the toughest lessons, but yeah, so, so after um, high school, I went to college and my parents um, really never gave me a talk about what college would cost. The message for me was go to whatever college you want to go to, we'll pay for it. You won't come out of college with any debt, which I'm so grateful for. But I was never, you know, told what college costs. Like I had no idea how expensive it was. I didn't apply to any state schools because I wanted to go away from home. I was, and I applied to, I think like 15 schools because nobody was really helping me decide what I wanted. Um, and I had no idea I was all over the place. So I was applying to schools in California, Colorado, New England. And I had this, uh, mentality in my head that I wanted to get as far away as possible where I ended up going was was not that far, not that far. No. (laughs) Well, also 15 colleges is insane. I applied, I applied to 15 colleges and then my mom applied me to three behind my back. So I applied to 18 colleges, which is an extreme amount of colleges that both of us applied to like that's not normal and 15 might not even be the number that's like what I'm remembering but it easily could have been more I just remember like blindly manically applying to colleges just being like I don't know where I want to go and the more colleges I applied to the more options I had I will have which is true but I think I think throughout the like applying to college process I started to realize that 
if I like actually going far away from home was kind of scary and not being able to be in driving distance from home was kind of scary. So where I ended up going was the university of Vermont, which was probably like a three, three and a half hour drive. So it still felt like I was, you know, far enough away from my family and far enough away from home to become the person I wanted to be, but I didn't have to get on a plane to go home. And it was truly the best decision I've ever made in my life. Um, one of those decisions that completely shaped who I am today. And I really believe that the universe was telling me like, you have to go here. This is where you're, where you're meant to be. Um, and yeah, in college, I, I was kind of opened up to a world outside of my small town, which I think happens to a lot of people. And I started to realize that not everybody had grown up like I did. Not everybody had grown up with wealth. There were a lot of people at UVM who were from Vermont and could only go to that school because that's all that they could afford. And it started to really open my eyes to how other people lived. Um, At the same time, I do think that um, there's like this this draw to Vermont by a lot of different types of people. And there, there were still some super wealthy people who went to Vermont and ended up being my friends. So I did of kind of like a track. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course, um, you know, just fried boots and flannels all day. Um, <laughs> but I, I definitely attracted those people. My um, college roommate and I spent, I think it was like five or $6,000 each in the first semester and not even on food. Like we had a meal plan. We had everything we needed. We just spent it on sweaters and shoes and like money so much money yeah it's insane and um the only reason I had that money is because my grandparents in France had given me like a lump sum when I turned 18 because they were able to save a ton of money and you didn't value it so I didn't value it and it's so hard looking back and realizing like thinking about all the struggle that they went through to save that money for me and me spending it on dumb dumb shit yeah. I mean, it is what it is. And like, I needed to do that in order to learn the lessons that I did and like be the person that I am today. But it's really tough to think about. It really is. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, that kind of just like continued on through the rest of college. I really, I was from this wealthy town in Massachusetts. And so when I would tell people where I was from, they would automatically be like, oh my God, you're from like this crazy wealthy town. You must have all this money. And I kind of just let them think it. I like wouldn't correct them. And I, I'd seen how my friends had lived growing up. So it's pretty easy for me to kind of think that I was from that world, even though I, I mean, my family's, my family was pretty well off, but like my mom's a teacher, you know, like we, we weren't raking in the dough like the other people were we, and we were living pretty modestly. We definitely got whatever we wanted growing up. And there was never any talk about money, never any talk about savings. Like I would get birthday money and I would spend it immediately. I didn't have a savings account until I started working with you when I was 24. Like that is insane, you know? Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. No, n- nothing. Like maybe a couple hundred dollars here and there just to make myself feel like I had done something. Had done something. Yeah. And then I would, of course, end up spending that money. But in college, I, yeah, so I, I had some of my grandparents' money and then I had a, a debit card that I would spend money on, but it was linked to my parents' account. So I kind of just assumed that they would refill it when it would hit zero. And they, they would, they would, they were paying my rent in Burlington. 
um, after two years, we like lived off campus. And I know a lot of other friends whose parents were like, you have to help pay for this because you're not on campus housing. My parents were like, we'll pay for it. Never even like thought about how much money it costs. And I was just getting funneled money. So at the same time, like similar to you, I had been working since I was probably 12 years old, babysitting. I worked in an ice cream store. I worked all throughout college. Um, because I really wanted to be independent and I wanted to have my own money, but I would just immediately spend it. So it was like a, a, a scarcity mentality is what it was. Like I never thought I would have enough and I did not know how to budget, did not know that I should be saving. And so I would just spend it on things that I definitely didn't need. But food in Burlington is also amazing. So I, I did get a lot of good food in there with that money. It is so good in Burlington. I like so to dream good. about this burger I had in Burlington in 2010. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Uh, let's take a trip there, there together. That um, sounds great. Yeah. So I was just spending it on stuff that I probably don't even have today. Like I'm, I'm sure. It's just, it's just stuff. Just stuff. Yep. Um, and... And yeah, I mean, I had an amazing college experience. As I said, it really made me the person that I am today. Um, and I learned a lot of lessons, not with money. Like that was not the time where I was learning my money lessons. Yeah. So I got out of college and for the first six months, I actually ended up going and living with my grandma in New Mexico and I was traveling the Southwest. So I didn't have a job. I didn't have savings. Um, I had opened my first credit card wet in college when I studied abroad and went to Australia and New Zealand. Um, I got my yoga teacher training too. I actually got mine in Hawaii, which my oh, parents nice. paid for. Yeah. Mm. Um, wow. But that's a nice gift. Yeah. Really nice gift. Um, did, did you think you were going to be a yoga teacher or you just wanted to do? The I training? was a yoga teacher in, in Vermont for a couple of years. Um, and that was like supplemental income. And then when I moved to, oh, when I like moved to the Southwest, I kind of lost that because I was traveling all the time and like never really got back into it. Like, I think what I learned in Vermont is that you can't make a lot of money as a yoga teacher. And so no, you cannot, no, you cannot. And so I think after that realization, I didn't want to like put a ton of effort into doing that when I knew I wasn't going to get the reward yeah. that I was I mean looking for. Yeah, you can make enough money to get by, but you, the the amount of effort you have to put into that exactly is, is yep. I I would meet. I met one person who was like, I teach forty classes a week, and I was like, I don't know how that's possible. Yeah, yeah. So it just wasn't worth it for me. I think, um, and I I like have always considered going back because I love it and it like truly brings me joy. And maybe it's something I'll do on the side. But ever since I've had a full time job, I've just been like, I don't really need to do that. Um, and also in Vermont, I had a yoga studio that I like absolutely loved and worked with. So it was easy to do that. But once I yeah. left that, I, I don't think I've like quite found that since then. How um, old you, you did your training? I was 21, 21. Okay. Yeah. Um, although to be honest, like it wasn't the best experience of my life. I think I didn't pick the right studio. I met some amazing people, but it was interestingly like really focused on looks and your body instead of like the, the actual discipline of yoga. Like we never really talked about anything important related to yoga. 
that's horrifying. And yeah. that's a whole other conversation that makes me yeah. so angry on my insides. Yep. Like yep. I'm awake now. Cause that makes me so angry. <laughs> like yeah. that. And then you went and taught people yoga. Yep. Um, I do have to say though, that, so when I, my senior year of college, I taught a course as my senior thesis. Um, and I was like partially, it was an environmental studies course that was like women in the environment pretty much. And a big portion of that was talking about yoga and the history of yoga. And I really got my, I like taught myself kind of like where yoga came from because it was so important to me at that point. And we talked about, you know, race and yoga, gender, like the, the colonization and where it comes from. And so I, I have like really looked into that, but it was all on my own. I did not learn any of that from my yoga teacher training. Um, yeah. So going back after college, I did traveling in the Southwest. I had opened a credit card when I went abroad. So I ended up just continuing to use that. I did not understand credit cards. I truly like thought that I would spend money and that like my parents would pay for it because that's what I was used to. So I didn't understand the whole, like putting money on a credit cards that, and you had to pay it off later. Hmm. Um, and so when I was traveling in the, in the Southwest, I would like use my credit card. I probably would use my parents' card sometime. And then also I had been living with my grandma and like ordering a bunch of stuff for her. So her card was saved on my computer. And over the course of like six months traveling, living with her, um, and then like coming back to Massachusetts, living with my parents and like still having her, having her card on my computer and stuff, I spent $8,000 of her money. Oh my gosh. My most embarrassing the most embarrassing thing that had that I've ever done most shameful like horrible horrible experience and she called me like four or five months into me being back in Massachusetts being like you did this how did you find out <sighs> AJ <laughs> <laughs> she found out because um someone from the bank had been like getting in touch with her being like, did you spend this money at like Sephora and, you know, buying clothes and shit. And she was like, no. So she reported it for fraud. Mm -hmm. Eventually they, the person from the bank came to her house and told her, we found out who's been spending this money and like where it's coming from. And it's your granddaughter. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like a movie. It's, it's a, it's a horror movie. Yeah. We've all, we've all done yeah. Things um, like that. So luckily my grandma and I had like an extremely close relationship and she had all this money from her dad who had passed away. So $8,000 to her was like basically nothing. And she immediately forgave me and she could tell that I was so distraught over it and was like beating myself up so badly. And I remember on the phone, her saying like, what, you're doing to yourself right now is so much worse than anything I could ever say to you. And she was like, I forgive you, which is the most like love and gratitude I've ever received from yeah. somebody for yeah. doing something so terrible. Um, and, but I still felt like horrible about it. And so I kind of set up a payment plan with her. She suggested it and I ended up sending her like a hundred, $150 a month for a couple years, like three years. And so eventually I like paid off some of that money, never paid off the whole thing. Um, 
but yeah, she gave me like the, the grace and, and the forgiveness that I was not willing to give myself at the time. Yeah. Um, and so after that, I moved to Boston, um, moved in with Frankie. We were splitting a super nice apartment in Boston. Um, and just, and then I also, I got a job that was like severely underpaying me, which I didn't realize because I didn't know what I needed in order to live. So I like didn't, I mean, I could, I think I could like afford my rent with this job and that was it. So all my monthly expenses were still going on a credit card. Um, and, but to the outside world, like I didn't tell anybody this, you know, like everybody thought I I had my shit together and I was traveling you didn't all the know time. You didn't have your shit together. No, 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 I didn't. Well, I mean, I, it, like money would stress me out, you know, like at of this course. point I was looking at a credit card being like, wait, I think I have to pay this money off. Like I'm an adult. I'm not taking money from my parents anymore. I like completely stopped doing that. And so I like needed to pay for myself. And I think I started to realize similar to you that nobody was going to save me and that I was going to have to do it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but during this time I was traveling all the time. I worked for a travel company. So I was working with people who we were all getting paid, like not enough money, but we all had wanted to travel and we had like wanderlust and we're traveling all the time and everybody around me was traveling. So I went to Europe multiple times. I went to Colombia. Um, just, I went to Iceland. I went to Ireland. Like I went to all these places and would just put all the money for my trips on my credit cards. Mm. And it got to the point where I was working at this job being severely underpaid and had so much debt and would just like, I couldn't even focus on my job. I would like be in the office and go in a corner, like a conference room and just cry because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't feel like I could go find another job because the company that I was at, like had a good culture and I had all these friends and I felt like I couldn't leave there and I would, wouldn't be happy if I went to another job. But the, the thing is that I wasn't happy at that job. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's when I started working with you. And how did Danny, like, <laughs> why, how, what did you tell Danny that s- signified that she should tell you about me? Um, so for people who don't know, Danny is our mutual friend and how we met. She is definitely going to be on the podcast soon because we want to hear all about her and her money story too. Um, but she was my health coach and she Cause at the same time, I mean, I will talk about this at some point, but I, I definitely have like a lot of health stuff that I've spent a lot of money on as well. Mm-hmm. It's still ongoing, but so she was helping me kind of figure out some of my health stuff and my digestive issues. And, um, she really helped me. Like she was the person who helped me get my life organized. And so through her, I like started using a planner again and was starting slowly to learn about saying no and setting boundaries Um, but really like it got to a certain point with her when I, when I realized that my biggest issue was money. And I think Mm -hmm. I was like pretty honest with her about it. I don't think I told her like the full extent of it, but it got to the point where I realized that I wasn't going to be able to do anything until I got my money in order. Cause she would tell me like, Oh, you might want to go see this doctor. And I would be like, I can't afford that. Yeah. And so I think naturally that it made sense for me to start talking to you and like, thank God she knew you. <laughs> like, where would I be today? I mean, oh. it's all meant to be like, I, yes. I know for a fact that I was meant to meet you. I like, this is the work similar to what you said that like makes me feel so alive and like so happy. And <laughs> it's the only thing I want to talk about. Like when I started getting my finances in order, I remember just 
like talking to all my friends about it, like word vomit. I'd be like, how much do you make? And how much debt do you have? And like, what's your monthly budget? And everyone was like, okay, can you calm down please? Like, <laughs> this is too much. But um, I just became really obsessed with it because I realized from my own experience that this was the work that changes lives. And like, you, you can't fix anything in your life until you get your finances in order and like have control over that. Um, and I think something that you've said that I've really realized, like, realizing that resonates with me is that just like your finances are the vehicle through which to examine every other lens in your life Mm -hmm. because it touches everything like it touches friendships it touches your anxiety it touches um vacations it touches your relationship like everything and so for me I just realized that I want to help people one not make the mistakes I did but if they do realize that it's okay and like you can start from wherever you are and you can figure it out and you're not, it's never too overwhelming to make a plan and figure it out. Yeah. I think the big key with what we both had is support. We had support in, you had support in me, I had support in my aunt and then in Brett. And, um, it's, it's, it's not intuitive and it's not easy to do alone, but if you have the right support, um, anything's possible. Um, yeah. You do have to ask for it though. Like it has to come from you. You have to ask for it. There's no way I would have gotten that support if I wasn't honest with people about my situation yes. and I wasn't, and I wasn't willing to say I need help. That is key. You, you have to be, I, I am sure you have friends and people in your life that you were like, I wish I could help you, but they're not asking I could you. list them off on like, yeah. <laughs> show me the star listing names. Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I have people that come to me and they're like, I want to work with you. And then I tell them what the program looks like. And they're like, just kidding. I don't, you know, like they're not ready and yeah. you have to be ready. And then you have to ask for help. And then you have to take that help and trust that help. And then that's where the transformation begins. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's really pivotal in, in getting your finances in order in a way that like maybe other areas of your life aren't, but I don't actually, I think you always need support. Like I wasn't going to go do my yoga teacher training by myself and like be my own teacher and student, you know, I needed support there. And it's really, it's really what it comes down to is accountability. It's like getting somebody there to kind of call you on your bullshit and teach you things that you might not have learned and that you don't know. So it's like that, that combination of somebody to teach you things and like also at the same time, call you out when you're, when you're kind of just like not doing the right thing. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, okay, Amelie, maybe you shouldn't be spending $3,000 a month when you can't afford it. Right. It's like, okay. Right. When you make $40,000 a year. Right. Oh, I was making much less than that. Um, Wow. I love your story. It was really, um, there's so many great nuggets that were so relatable. Like I was like, oh, I had that experience too. Or like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was really, um, it was just really fun to go down that road with you. Yeah. You know, I am working on being more vulnerable, not easy for me. And I'm hoping that through this podcast, I can practice that because I think it's so important. And I think part of figuring out money, especially for women, is like removing the shame and the guilt that goes along with it. Because 
I mean, for so many reasons, but in society, like women are really not taught about money and it's the message is that there's going to be a man or there's going to be your family to lean back on and to support you and that you won't need to ever look at your finances. And I think that that's complete bullshit. And I think that in order to be independent and to like live your own life, the number one thing that you can do is have your own money and be in control of your own finances. It allows you to um, you know, get out of, of a bad relationship. If you don't want to be yep. in it, it allows you to you get out of a job you hate, like move to a different city. If you need to, like, it just allows you freedom. And yep. I mean, having a ton of money isn't what brings happiness, but not having money like will bring stress. So it's like finding yep. that middle ground. Yeah. It's, um, it's about, we spend a lot of time projecting outwards, like collectively we're like, I don't feel supported. I don't feel protected. I don't feel safe. And what getting your finances in order does is creates those feelings within you. It's like in, for yoga, you do a pose over and over again to the point where you feel strong and you feel stable and you feel, you know, light and you feel balanced and you practice, you embody those beliefs in the posture and then they become true for you. And it's the same with money. You build stability, you build support, you build structure for yourself. You create a, a system that is literally nurturing you over and over and over and over again. And it yields results that you couldn't even fathom such as better relationships, which is the biggest thing I'm most passionate about in getting your finances in order. You're not reliant on anybody else. So you get to just be with them. There's no, there's no power dynamic. There's no struggle in who, who gets a say in your life. You get the say in your life. You are the final decision maker of your own life. And that's what happens when you get your finances in order. Yep. My number one favorite thing that you have ever said ever is that budgeting is the new form of self-care. Yeah. We live in a world where self-care is like taboo at this point. And I mean, the wellness industry is making millions and millions and millions of dollars off of us. Billions. Stop paying for that like dumb shit and just turn it inwards and get your finances in order. It will bring you so much more joy and so much more stability and self-esteem than like buying that face mask ever will. And also in the, in the fitness world, like the mask of the, of the yoga industry and the fitness industry on self-care, like the, the, the codependency of get spiritual, like, like have this actualization and all of your problems will be solved and how many teachers, how many practitioners go in and think yoga is going to fix all my problems and they avoid all of the money stuff and, and it's not going to fix your day-to-day problems. It's going to fix your, it's going to combat anxiety. It's going to help with depression. It's going to help with your inflammation and your, you know, endocrine system and your lymphatic system. And there's a million benefits to it, but it is certainly not going to fix your financial situation unless you're willing to look at the numbers and do the work 
in tandem with those practices. Um, and I think that's a big part of it too. It's like, there's that, that really woo woo part of self care that also doesn't work. Yeah. It's like, go get a face mask and buy a candle that's, that says debt free. And, <laughs> and also the part of it, like, I don't care about money. I'm just going to like do yoga 17 times a day and live in abundance and like keep affirming to the universe of who I am and not look at the numbers and not figure out my financial situation. And so they both live together. Yeah. And the beauty of it is that once you do have your finances in order and you have control over that part of your life, then you can go and you can afford the yoga classes and you can afford the candle and you won't feel bad about it. And it truly will help you on another level because you're just like, your vibration is at a higher level. You know, yes. you don't have that like level of stress and anxiety. And so therefore you can actually enjoy the things that are marketed to you through, through the self-care industry, because it's not that these things are horrible. It's just like, let's step back and think about what we need to do before this. Yep. And that baseline is like, get your money in order, fix your relationships, find that self-esteem. And that all stems from finances. I really believe that. Yeah. And that's why we're doing this podcast. Oh, we have so much to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) This is just the beginning. Um, I think before we end, I would like, I want to talk about the name really quick. Everybody, Mm -hmm. everybody's bad with money. Um, So when I was getting my, I, I I lived in Manhattan, my mid twenties and I was partying and hanging out a lot with my friends who were making like six figures, really doing well for themselves. And I was like living in their world. Um, and they, they all knew about my financial situation, but like, I thought they might know something that I didn't know about money because they were in a better financial situation than I was, or mm-hmm. they were raised with money or they made something of their career. And as I started getting out of debt and I started getting out of, um, I started seeing the light. I realized that like everybody's bad with money. It didn't matter if they were rich or poor, like every person, that I tell what I do, no matter if they're millionaires, which I've told, or they make $30,000 a year, everybody says, oh, wow, I could really use your help. Mm. Everybody. I've never had one person be like, oh yeah, I'm so good with finances. I don't need any of your advice or your opinions. And not that they follow up with it, but I realized that every single person is based not every, but like 99.9% of people, you know, are bad with money. And it's this humility of like, cool, we're all bad with money. Let's figure it out together and let's support each other on our financial journey and not bring each other down by pretending we're good with money. I love that. Yes. Yes to everything. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So what's, what's on the agenda for us, Amelie? so much coming up. We're going to talk about relationships. We're going to interview some awesome people and hopefully learn from them as they teach our listeners. Um, we're going to talk about anxiety and mental health. We're going to talk about money and health issues, which I can dive into, uh, for multiple episodes probably. (laughs) And just, just a lot of things. We have so many things we want to cover. Um, money really touches everything. So we're going to cover a lot of different things. We're both like, we love the wellness world. So we're going to talk about self-care. We're going to talk about, um, yoga some more, I'm sure. And working out and how that relates to money and just so much. I could go on. 
but so much. That, those are some some those are some brief snippets of of what we'll be discussing. Yeah, cool. Amazing. So amazing. We want to end every episode by talking about a couple of things that we're grateful for. Um, for a lot of reasons, I think gratitude is really the antidote to so many things. Um, and I think having that attitude of gratitude really allows you to see past your stress and anxiety and past, you know, the things that might be stressing you out in your life. Um, anything to add to that before we dive into it? Yeah. Um, as you said, gratitude is the, I believe the antidote to um, depression and anxiety. I think it's like, but I don't think gratitude is intuitive. I think that um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, there are steps that have to be taken before you have gratitude, which is that you need to acknowledge and recognize the lesson or the thing that was um, troubling you or making you happy. And then you need to, um, do some investigating and figure out like, is that a pattern in your life? Has that happened before? Is this something reoccurring? Mm -hmm. And then you need to acknowledge if it's something you need to let go of or something you need to keep. So if it's something bad that's happened, is it, um, is it worth fighting the fight? Is it worth going into battle over this thing? Or is it something that you're actually meant to let go? And and then you can kind of surrender and be like, I, I allow myself to receive the gifts of this lesson, be it the lesson was to let go or the lesson was to fight. And from there, then you can practice gratitude, which is <laughs> thank God for this experience that happened that enabled me to do X, Y, and Z. Um, so I, I think that it's key. I, I want to, we, so Amelie and I both, firmly believe this in our, in our value system, that gratitude is the antidote. And um, so it's important sometimes that we like go back and I, I'm excited to do that where we kind of work through how we got to gratitude. Um, mm, yeah. Yeah. It's a so process. It's a process. It's a process. It's a process. It's a, it's a system. And um, it's because um, I'm sure all of you are exhausted of false positivity and i'm exhausted yeah we're not we're not about that on this podcast um we're not trying to make you believe something that isn't true or give you the impression that we feel something that isn't authentic so be saying that okay three things that i'm grateful for uh so the first one is i'm grateful for you i'm super grateful for the openness in our relationship and this new stage from client to co-podcast host to, you know, venturing into business together. Um, it's so wonderful to have a teammate as I'm growing um, my budgeting course and my business. And I feel super honored that you want to continue working with me in this new capacity. So that's one. Um, I'm really grateful for my apartment and I love being home and I am just so happy here and it makes me feel so safe and um, I'm really happy to be continuing to grow and develop it and make it beautiful and what I want. Um, And I'm also extremely grateful for all my participants of the Heal Your Relationship with Money course. 
Um, I'm really blown away at their showing upness and willingness to do the work. Like I, it almost makes me want to cry because I know how difficult this stuff is and they're taking it on in an eight week course and like doing the work and it's so inspiring and I'm so grateful that I get to be witness to their transformation. Amazing. Cool. Um, I, let's see, I definitely have to copy you. I'm so, so grateful for you. (laughs) I'm also going to cry. There will be crying on this podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think not in my wildest dreams could I have imagined meeting somebody like you who could support me so well as a coach and then also support me in building the career of my dreams and talking about something that is so important to me. So thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful. Um, I'm really grateful for my heating pad. Um, (laughs) I use it every single day. I sleep with it. It is a game changer for my body. And as we go into winter, I'm grateful for it every day. And I am grateful for nature. I, this past weekend, I went to the Berkshires and I was able to do some hiking and just kind of get out of the city. And it made me really realize how important that is to me and how it just gives me new perspective um, and how nature is super resilient, even when we humans are not. Wow. That's a good, uh, that's a good end note. (laughs) Yes. On that note, um, thank you everyone for tuning in. We are so excited and grateful to be able to share our knowledge with you and learn from experts as we go along. So thank you so much for tuning in and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks everybody. Bye.